Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 259. Uh, to me, uh, I've always, you know, if you want to create a manual telling people how to do things, I mean, that manual will be six feet thick. You know, um, we have all those manuals and so forth, but I am a much firm believer of teaching people how to think, and that if you teach them how to think, they'll know what to do. And so uh, our people know how to think because they live and work in, in, uh, within our culture and our values, and that teaches them how to think, and that becomes a screen by which everything we do. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Are you short on time when it comes to training your restaurant staff? Well, if you are, don't worry. I'm sure you're not alone. But there is light at the end of the tunnel. You can find that light by visiting Tipsy for a whole library of video courses delivered by world barista champions, leading sommeliers, marketing gurus, and customer service superstars. Learn more by clicking the Tipsy banner in the show notes. If you choose to subscribe today, you'll get a special 50% discount because your restaurant unstoppable listeners get on it. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Cameron Mitchell. Cameron, tell me you're feeling unstoppable today. Well, that's a good question because it's part of one of my problems uh, as I feel a little bit unstoppable. We continue to build restaurants and I'm a deal junkie (laughs) and uh, I I love risk and so I... uh, I keep going all the time, even though I want to try to pause, and I, I keep saying I'm going to try to pause, and uh, and it's just a kind of a dance I play with myself, and then I get cranked back up again. So it's, uh, uh, I definitely feel unstoppable, and I think that's both a strength and a weakness to a certain extent. <laughs> Can't stop, won't stop. I love it. Right. So uh, right. <laughs> Cameron Mitchell is the CEO and founder of Cameron Mitchell Restaurants, headquartered in Columbus, Ohio. A lifelong entrepreneur, Mitchell is an uh, accomplished businessman, culinary expert, and nationally recognized restaurateur. His uh, prominence in the industry increased exponentially in the early 2008 uh, when he guided the sale of two of his most popular concepts, a uh, total of 22 restaurants, to Ruth's Hospitality for $92 million. With an entrepreneur's energy, vision, and passion, Mitchell's sights are set on the, de- the development of new restaurant concepts and the expansion of concepts currently in his company's portfolio. This is just a huge uh, bird's eye view of who you are, what you've accomplished. I can't wait to learn more about you, Cameron. But before we do, let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you have for us today? Oh, I have lots of those, but <laughs> I think uh, uh, my my favorite one is uh, the answer is yes. What's the question? Yes. Um, I also talk to our people all the time about great restaurant touring is difficult. Uh, if it was easy, everybody would do it. So uh, it, it's uh, it's a challenging business. I love that you started off with the the answer is yes. What is the question? Because I I did my research. I read a few articles where you wrote this whole philosophy and really speak to what you mean by that. It seems kind of obvious, but dive into it real quick. Well, I think simply put, uh, you know, uh, it's an attitude. Um, 
the answer is yes. Uh, you can't bring a gun to work. The answer is no. Uh, you can't smoke in the middle of the dining room. The answer is no. You can't sexually harass our associates, fellow associates. The answer is no. But what it means is, is if we can do it, the answer is yes. And uh, it, it, it might be as simple as walking to the dining room and, hey, can I sit here instead of there? Yes. Can I get that with no mushrooms? Yes. Can I? Uh, we had a, a guest the other day at our steakhouse that, uh, boy, I'd love to get some guacamole. And, you know, we have an avocado salad on the menu. So we said, okay, we, we whipped up an order of guacamole for him. So um, it, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's about an attitude. And, you know, it's easy to say no. Uh, no requires no action. You know, no, we can't do that. You know, yes mm-hmm. always requires action. And so um, it, it's, a, it's an attitude and a mantra of how we want to run a restaurant, how we want to treat our people, um, you know, uh, everything we do. We, yeah. we try to answer is yes, what's the question? It's such an awesome mantra. It's so simple. And just that mentality of, you know, we're going to do things in our day. As hospitality professionals, they're going to inconvenience or going to inconvenience us, and it, the odds are, the more of an inconvenience that is, the better, or the you know, the more of a reason why we should do it because it's when we really are willing to go out of our way to uh, take care of somebody else that we really shine and we really, uh, you know, you know, exceed those expectations. I love Absolutely. It. We have endeared uh, guests to our company for life uh, in those situations. We've got hundreds and hundreds of those situations, um, you know, where, you know, we would have been so easy to say no, you know, mm-hmm. but, you know, yes. Well, you know, I, I, I got story after story after story about how that has come into play and made uh, raving fans for life of our brand and our company because of that. Yeah, I love it. And uh, and to tag on to that sec- second quote you shared with us, uh, just say that real quick one more time for us. Sure. Uh, great restaurant touring is difficult. If it was easy, everybody would do it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so what I'm seeing in management meetings and and. and one of uh, uh, you want to get the hairs up on the back of my head. Uh, you, you start your conversation. Now, it would be easier for us if we did this, you know. Well, uh, I most most conventional wisdom with me is if it was easier and easier to do it, uh, it's not nearly as good. And so uh, it's no different than creating great food, uh, you know, or running a great restaurant or whatever. It takes a lot of work and a lot of effort. There are no shortcuts. There is no easy way to do it. Um, if you want to be great, uh, you got to prepare to pay the price to be great. You got to yeah. work your butt off, and you got to do what you need to do. And that really sings to me right now, Cameron, because I just had a conversation this morning uh, working with the, the restaurant group that I'm currently uh, part of. Uh, this idea we are kind of a, a a whole foods, healthy smoothies grain bowls, uh, that type of concept. And there's so many people thinking like, oh, this is such a great idea. And there's so many people coming to market with that idea. And the owner was talking about how like it's kind of nerve wracking to see all these people talking in our restaurant about how they want to duplicate what I'm doing. And I said, mm-hmm. I said, don't worry about it because this is a great idea. It's a great concept, but the success comes in the execution and who mm-hmm. you surround yourself with. And that's what's hard. And if you can execute and surround yourself with amazing people, that's what matters. So great way to get this interview started. I'm loving it, Cameron. Uh, I want to learn more about you. Uh, so let's bring it back to uh, your first job in the restaurant industry. You're in the dish pit. Let's start there and kind of talk about your evolution as a professional. 
Well, we got to go a little further back than that. Right. Uh, I dropped out of high school my sophomore year of high school. I was a runaway and came from a broken family and uh, uh, got into drugs and alcohol when I was in seventh grade and all the way into high school. And and uh, I had a can-do in high school, but I didn't have the will-do. And I was, uh, uh, I think my mom was going to have me declared incorrigible, so I dropped out of high school and ran away and lived on the streets for about six months. And and came back what would have been the start of my junior year in high school the night before. I literally had uh, bare feet, a pair of jeans, and a T-shirt. That was it. I had nothing. And called my mom and said, you know, I'd like to come back home and get started. And so I got started back at school. And uh, and my mom was an administrative assistant. We, we grew up in a pretty affluent uh, neighborhood, but we were in the have-not section uh, uh, part of town. And... and uh, uh, I needed some money, so I started, I, I looked for a job, and I got a job at a local steakhouse, which was the Cork and Cleaver brand way back when, and uh, this was in 1980, so 36 years ago, uh, as a junior in high school, and, and I needed money. I, my mom couldn't give me money if I needed, if I wanted spending money or lunch money or anything, I needed to earn it myself. So mm-hmm. I started washing dishes and bussing tables and doing prep work those uh, last two years of high school uh, in the restaurant business, not knowing... I wanted to be in the restaurant business. That came right after high school, but uh, I sure did enjoy it and had a good time. And and uh, uh, you know, so that was the beginning of my restaurant career 36 years ago. I'm looking forward to 2020 because then I'll be able to say I've been in the business for 40 years. And I think wow. after 40 years, you get a little bit of credibility. So. <laughs> Absolutely, 36 years is plenty <laughs> of uh, credibility too. And uh, you you really started to come to the realization when you were working on the line that this is uh, what you want to make your career. This isn't a for now job. This is your passion. This is the rest of your life. And take us through that moment. If you can think of sure. a moment, Karen, where it just like... Oh, it, it was a true epiphany. It was an epiphany in the truest sense of the word where time froze. I... Uh, so I, this is now, I, I graduated high school finally after I got out of summer school my senior year. And uh, I opened a Max Norma's restaurant back in December 7th of 1981. And uh, back then, this is when Max Norma's was a hot brand, like Friday's was a hot brand way, way back when, and uh, packed to the gills. And uh, I, I was working as an AM cook and a PM host. And I was working two jobs, uh, another job also. And... Uh, you know, most of the kids, 90-some percent of the kids in my uh, suburb in Columbus here went off to college. And I didn't go right off to college because I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I was just living with my mom, working for beer money, you know, 18 years old, uh, floundering in a restaurant business. And I was late uh, several times in a row, and I ended up getting suspended for three days and put on 30 days probation and so forth. And this was midway through my probationary period. It was a Friday afternoon. I'll never forget. I was an AM cook that day. And I was working like eight to four and I had to go home from four to five and, and change clothes and come back as work as a host that night. And, uh, it was pandemonium in the kitchen during shift change. You know, we, the restaurant's half full, the half hour bars packed, uh, the AM shifts trying to leave, PM shifts trying to come on, managers are barking orders left and right. Employees are trying to get food. And, uh, it was just pandemonium. I looked across the line and time froze and I said, uh, this is what I, I love this. This is what I want to do the rest of my life. So I got off my work that night, double shift, and I went home and I wrote out my goals. I said I was going to go to the, I had heard about the Culinary Institute of America. I was going to go to the CIA and I was going to graduate. And I was going to, by the time I was 23 in five years, I was going to become an executive chef. Uh, and at 24, I was going to become a general manager. And at 26, a regional manager. And by 30, I wanted to be vice president of operations. 
And by 35, I want to be president of a restaurant company. I wrote those goals out. And I was thinking at the time, like a company like Max Nermis. And uh, I woke my mom up at one in the morning. I said, I know what I want to do with the rest of my life. I'm going to uh, be in the restaurant business. And so on Friday, I was working for beer money and working for the man, if you will, and just struggling to survive. And 18-year-old, uh, not a man, not a boy, not, you know, not really in between, in the middle of nowhere. And on Saturday morning, I was the laziest guy in the kitchen. On Saturday morning, I was working for my career. I was working for myself. I was my future. And I had a clear vision of what I wanted to do. And I became the hardest working guy in the kitchen. Literally overnight, I did a 180-degree turn. Wow. And I really never looked back. That is awesome. I love how you painted the picture for us. And I really just want to pull back some layers. You painted this incredible uh, picture of the craziness that was going on in this restaurant in that moment, uh, reflecting back. Really tell us what it was about what was going on that really just made you fall in love in that moment. Oh, it's just the business. It's the energy. It's the people. It's the excitement. You know, uh, no day is the same. And, and, you know, I just fell in love with that. Um, and, you know, I, I just became blessed knowing what I wanted to do the rest of my life at that very moment. Mm. And so, uh, and I worked my whole career. I've tailored my whole career and learning and everything towards uh, that goal of becoming president of a restaurant company. I had another epiphany downrange. I'll tell you about also when I decided to start my own company, if you want, whenever you're ready. Yeah, for it, so. I just want to point out a few amazing things, things that just I, I think make you incredible, things we can learn from just listening to the story, how we can emulate these things in our own life. Two of those things first is you wrote first you selected goals and you gave yourself deadlines. That is so powerful. Uh, why is that powerful? Explain that to us. Well, and I've used I use that technique and tactic now uh, in everything I do. Not that I write my goals down every single time, but I have uh, what I was really doing was painting the vision for myself, uh, and and that's what I do, and that's one of my key leadership keys is uh, I paint the vision for our people all the time. Any chance I get in front of any of our people, I'm painting the vision for our company, for our future, uh, where we're going, what we're doing. And, and so forth. And so that was very powerful for me is to paint my own vision. So uh, and that became uh, the uh, architecture for what my whole career today. Yeah. And the other thing that I wanted to point out uh, is that you, you told somebody else when you share your visions, uh, it's so important to just not just write them down, but to share them with as many people as possible because then they hold you accountable. Then you hold yourself accountable, right? I mean, I don't know about you. Well, Go most ahead. important. You hold yourself accountable. Yes, you know? exactly. And uh, just so, uh, getting yeah, it out I, uh, loud, writing it down. Everybody I can talk to, uh, what we're doing, where we're going, what's happening. And uh, the more I tell people we're going to do, the more I believe in myself, the more everybody else believes it. And I can never communicate enough about our direction and where we're going. And like Ari Weinswag says in his book, Building or the, an, anarch, an Anarchist Approach to Building a Great Business, everyone starts pulling in the same direction when you share those visions, and everybody knows what we as a group are shooting for as well. Uh, and then, uh, We'll talk about our company culture and values in a minute, but we have 4,000 uh, associates who employees. We call them associates in our company. And I, awesome. I always use the analogy when I talk about our company culture and our values and um that uh, that is, if you imagine uh, each one of those associates being a metal filament in a bag, and I dump that bag out on a table, you've got these metal filaments going every which way, in every different direction. Uh, but when I wave the values and culture of our organization over the top of those, it gets all those 
Philip, it's all 4,000 of our associates marching in the same direction. Mm. That's that's uh, to good leadership in my book. Absolutely. And uh, one more thing just to mention, because I think it's so important, something you said is uh, finding out, you know, what you're going to do for the rest of your life. It was able, it allowed you to live intentionally. And I, that's all I wanted to say to kind of, you know, highlight your greatness in the story, uh, things we can take and apply in our own lives. And uh, you said you had another uh, story you wanted to tell. So I'll let you take the floor again. Sure. So I, I, uh, I, I went to culinary school. I got accepted to culinary school. And um, uh, I do have a funny story about culinary school. I said I got turned down to the CIA at first because of my high school grades. I finished last in my class. And I got the, the letter, and it said, uh, uh, if you, you've got a good work experience, if you'd like to go to a, your local college and take some math and English courses and get good grades – uh, and reapply, well, we'd love to take a look at you again. And so I was with some friends. I think I was making six bucks an hour at the time, I, you know, whatever. Uh, and I said to them, I said, this is going to cost me a half a million dollars. Mm-hmm. And they're like, what on earth are you talking about? I said, well, it's going to take me six months to get into school, complete a quarter, uh, get a math and English, get good grades, and reapply and get accepted. So this is Six more months of me making 20000 bucks a year and six less months of me making a million dollars a year. Wow. <laughs> so it cost me half a million dollars. So uh, that was an interesting way to look at it at 18 years old or 19 years old at the time. So it's a very anyway, aggressive way to look at it for somebody at that age because I don't think most people really look at the numbers at that age. They don't really have the concept of money. Right, right. So, so I wanted to get started in my career and the culinary was the key to that. So I needed to get in there and get moving. So. I know my career wasn't going anywhere until I got in there. So, anyways, I uh, I uh, graduated from the CIA. I became executive chef uh, for a white tablecloth restaurant here in town in Columbus, top ten restaurant at twenty three. Uh, twenty four, I became general manager with this company, and we started to build some restaurants. Uh, and at twenty six, we got four restaurants open, and I became the operations manager and overseeing the front of the house operations. And uh, I started to hit my head on the ceiling. It was owned by some wealthy local businessmen, this company, and they didn't care about us and didn't care about the restaurant business. They were using these restaurants as amenities in their development and so forth and, and didn't care about us and didn't respect us. And then my boss, the, the operating partner, uh, was a micromanager. He was getting increasingly frustrating to work with as we got bigger. And so I was uh, starting to hit my head on the ceiling and think about what I'm going to do. And I was, you know, unclear and unsure and I went to a local restaurant a chef owned restaurant on Friday night and I always joke my epiphanies only happen on Fridays but uh, so I'm in there Friday night I get off work I'm over there about 8 30 9 o'clock and the place is packed and the chef is working the dining room and I'm in there at the bar having a cocktail and I know him and I'm talking to him I'm watching him and and it hit me like a ton of bricks another epiphany I said that's it so I'm gonna start my own restaurant company mm. so uh, that was in May of 1992. I left uh, July 11th of 1992, uh, six weeks later, and uh, started the process of building Cameron Mitchell restaurants, and I'm doing the same thing today, 24 years later. Awesome. And uh, so you, how old were you, 26, 27, when you first sought out? I was 28 at the time. When I had that epiphany, I turned uh, 29 uh, in, uh, in uh, June of, of uh, 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 1992. And it took me 14 months to open the first restaurant. I uh, I, um, uh, I worked on a, a site downtown Columbus for about six months, and I raised the capital for it. And we're getting ready to sign the lease, and 
um, the landlord went ended up going bankrupt, and so the bank repossessed the building, and I was down to literally seventy dollars rolling change to buy some groceries. I'd given up my apartment. I was completely broke. Credit cards maxed out. Everything. And I scrambled to put a new business plan together, a new location, and I secured a new location. And I finally raised the capital back. I sent all my partners their checks back and, you know, offered them opportunity to reinvest in this other business. And um, they did. And I finally raised the money. I was able to break escrow and, uh, and, and write myself back a check for seven grand that I had spent on, you know, copying and business plans and so forth and charged it off to pre-opening expenses. And I lived off that seven grand um from march of 1993 till we opened up october 5th of 1993 our first restaurant so at that time i had just turned 30 when we opened up the first restaurant and i'm 53 today so um about 23 this october will be uh october 5th will be 23 years ago and uh we're getting excited we have our 25 year anniversary coming up here in october 5th of 2018 so wow and i mean real quick uh how did you get that initial capital where were you looking who are you asking well, so I was a little bit blessed. Uh, my pa- my family didn't really have any money. My brothers, I have two brothers, and my one brother maxed out some credit cards, you know, and I uh, got the cash advances on some credit cards and uh, to put some money in. My other brother put a few bucks in, and, and my mother had remarried, and her husband, uh, new husband, put in a couple bucks. And but we really didn't have a whole lot of money. I mean, uh, but I was blessed in the way that I was I was running these uh, four or five, six restaurants at the time before I left. And so I was, you know, out working the dining rooms and meeting a lot of people in Columbus and a lot of people got to see me in action, you know, and um, a good example is uh, I used to take care of an insurance guy all the time. He'd come in and, oh, Mr. Keene, I have your table ready, you know, and he, he and I had become friends and he said, I loved how uh, you just handle yourself and the hospitality you uh, 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 created. And, and so when it came time to start my restaurant company and raise some money, I approached him and said, hey. You know, will you put some money in this restaurant business and I'll do buy my insurance from you, you know? And he thought that was a pretty good deal and said, okay. And so there was a lot of those kind of mm-hmm. folks that I knew, knew through the community, knew through our dining rooms. And so I, I ended up getting 25 partners in the beginning. I had about 250 prospects. And so it was a difficult time mentally because uh, as I was raising that capital, I basically had 225 people tell me uh, no. And so I uh, had uh, 25 say yes, but it, it, it was a lot of rejection. So uh, my ego took a pretty good beating. And I remember I really couldn't date during that time. I didn't really have any money anyways, but I just didn't have a whole. I get that. Uh, I had, but it was just uh, it was a difficult time. I'll never forget. It was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life uh, was get the first restaurant started. I mean, it was just it was rough. Oh, man. There's so many incredible things that you just share with us. I just want to highlight real quick. Uh, First, uh, so many people try to open a restaurant with no experience. And I love that you got 11 years, minimum Mm -hmm. 11 years experience. uh, And just like you said, being out there, like seeing like being in the industry, being in front of people, people knowing that you have the experience, people knowing that you went to school, just serving people, finding opportunities to create win-win situations with a guy at the insurance. Like these are all examples of just putting yourself out there and, and developing your network. Your network is your net worth. And I think there's a huge lesson to learn from you and how you approach that. And I got to ask 25 partners, how, uh-huh. how did you get everybody on the same Page, how did you get all those people pulling in the same direction? Like, how, I mean, were you at least fifty-one percent of all that? Like, how did you uh, lose control? No, that's a misnomer. 
you know, everybody worries about that and worries about partners. And I always say partners are made out of need and greed. And I certainly needed them, and they were certainly wanted to make money. So need and greed is how we formed it. But uh, as long as your uh, operating agreement is spelled out clearly, um, I had one partner at one point, one, one person at one point, who wanted to fund the whole thing. And I told him no, because I didn't want to, I knew he'd, I'd end up kind of working for that guy. And uh, so uh, we had, you know, it's a partnership agreement, and they sign on to the partnership agreement, and the partnership agreement gives me full authority and full control. So even still to this day, I have, uh, I have probably now, I've done multiple capital raises since, and I probably have, uh, I forget the census, maybe 60 paid partners and 40 operating partners at sweat equity partners in the business now. Wow. And, uh, but I still run like a sole proprietorship and, uh, and, and because, uh, that's the way the operating agreement's written. And, you know, I own a, uh, uh not quite a majority of business, but very close, but, uh, it's, it's, it's neither here nor there. I control, uh, the voting stock in the business. So where can we go? They're really silent partners. So it's not, and I report several times a year, you know, your integrity uh, takes years to build and days to ruin. And P- they, my partners know what I tell them is the truth. And, and, I, and I report very in-depth twice a year. And, and I report to them on top of that if things happening or in, within the company and, and keep them involved and, and uh, up to speed. And, and, and it's worked out very well. I've had very few problems over the years with partners. Where can we go to uh, learn more? Is there a document you can think of, a website or a book that you have uh you know, use to educate yourself on uh, partnership agreements that you can direct our listeners. You know, to? that's a good question. That's a good question. I I happen to be blessed in uh, when I was with the Fifty Five Group before I started my company. I got to see a lot of those partnerships be formed and so forth. So I got some experience with that. But I don't know if there's any articles or anything else. I, I'm sure they're out there on the web. But I think any good attorney can uh, represent and can can advise uh, anybody uh, thinking about forming partnerships and. And create them. There's a there's a uh, lots of ways to create them and lots of ways to work payment of you know how you share profits and all those things and and it's uh, it's just it's just a matter of figuring out the right formula. But it's not that difficult, especially with good legal representation, which I highly recommend for anybody. Awesome, great stuff. Um, two more things I really want to dive into just to get Ariel real quick. First, uh, how you went from one location to as I think I counted as many as fifty at one time or more. Right, we had uh, 40 restaurants when we, in 2008 when we sold uh, uh, 22 of them to Ruth Chris. So we went down to 18, and we're back. Uh, we'll be at 52 at the end of the year here, um, and right across the country. And so, so real, um, real quick, I want to dive into that. Also, I want to leave room to one thing I want to learn from you today, Cameron, is how you keep your culture so strong, so impactful when you're spread across that many locations. So first, let's talk about how you scaled it, the most important things we need to know when scaling, and then how do you just keep that culture so present? So let's start with uh, the scaling. So uh, I, 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 young people all the time, and I agree with you about getting the experience, you know, young people a lot of times want to start today. And I think about, I had pretty good pedigree and, uh, I think about what I know today compared to what I know when I was 30 when I started. It's unbelievable. And so uh, uh, I always tell people to work for the best, get the best education mm, you can, yes. self-study, and, and and move up the ladder, and then think about going on your own. Um, and it's very hard to go to D without going through uh, A, B, C. You know? So anyways, that's number one. And then uh, 
your second uh, point you want to talk about is, oh, when I left from one restaurant to two to three, I knew as soon as I stepped off the dock, I mean, for me to one re- run one restaurant wasn't necessarily a big deal. Uh, but when I went to two and three, I never worked harder than my life. I would, uh, at that point in time, I had a, I got married and I had a young son at home and I would come home and uh, uh, see him for dinner for an hour. My wife and I go back to work at midnight and get back up and go back to work at eight in the morning. I did it all the time. Wow. And, and I always, sorry, go I was going to say like you were working a ton, I'm sure 80 plus hours a week. Mm-hmm. At what point, like what were the things you started to do in your life, Cameron, that let you uh, slowly start to transition out of being are working in a people dependent restaurant versus uh, I'm going to get suggestive, but a system dependent restaurant. So uh, I always tell people uh, one quick thing here. I said, you know, uh, uh, you know, people say, Oh God, I work 12 hours today, you know? And I said, well, you know, well, good for you. You only worked a half a day. (laughs) And uh, you know, it's all in your attitude more than anything. So, but um, so in the, in the beginning, uh, it was all me and that's why it took forever. You know, now I got 4,000 people, I got, you know, 11 people on our executive team and I got a president, CEO, chief financial officer, you know, you name it, we got it. Uh, uh, so in the beginning, so in the beginning I did a hundred percent, uh, or, or 95%, uh, management and 5% leadership, mm. you know, and now today I'm 95% leadership and 5% management. Mm. So it uh, and I had you know I morphed over time you know I I, I wanted the the fir- very first thing I did is I wrote our company culture and values I didn't want the company to be about me mm-hmm. and wanted to I wanted to be a values driven organization I want our be our business to be around for sixty seventy eighty hundred years long after I'm gone and the only way to do that is to be a values driven organization so uh, I spent a lot of time and and still to this day spent a lot of time. Uh, teaching and preaching our values and our company culture, and that's the systems. You know, I always think about when you talk about systems too. We have all the operating systems in place. You know, we, you know, uh, and and every restaurant company has to have that. But uh, to me, uh, I've you know, if you want to create a manual telling people how to do things, I mean, that manual will be six feet thick. You know, um, we have all those manuals and so forth, but. I am a much firm believer of teaching people how to think, and that if you teach them how to think, they'll know what to do. Mm. And so uh, our people know how to think because they live and work in, in, uh, within our culture and our values, and that teaches them how to think, and that becomes a screen by which everything we do. Mm. Um, so I would tell you, like, for example, we define ourselves. You know, any, any uh, business has to ask, who are we? We define ourselves as great people delivering genuine hospitality. What does that mean? We all know great people. We all know when you're delivering something, somebody's receiving it. If it's genuine, it's from the heart. And hospitality is defined treating guests like you treat guests in your own home. So um, we want to be better today than we were yesterday and better tomorrow than we are today. Um, By virtue of that alone, creates a culture of change and creates a, a culture of you know, we're somewhat of a successful restaurant today, and if we're better tomorrow than we are today, then tomorrow, by virtue of that, we'll be more of a successful restaurant company than we are today. So it keeps our upward trajectory growing. Uh, and and um, we talk about our 4,000 associates. We all have different job descriptions. We all have the same role. 
and that is to make raving fans of the five groups of people we come in contact with, which is um, our, our fellow associates, our guests, our purveyors, our partners in our community. You have to belong to, belong to one of those five constituencies to have any interaction with our restaurant company. Um, and the fourth question of our, of our culture and values is, uh, uh, what do we want to be? Well, we want to be an extraordinary restaurant company. Uh, and how, what's that? The definition of extraordinary is the opposite of ordinary. And then, well, I think the third value is uh, we have to have, what is our mission? And our mission is uh, quite simple. That's to thrive with both cultural and fiscal responsibility. Uh, job number one, you think as a CEO of a restaurant company, my goal, number one goal, we make a great profit. And that's not true. Our number one goal is to maintain our values and our culture. Uh, job number 1A is to make a great profit, and we do. We uh, we always benchmark ourselves against the top publicly held restaurant companies, and we're always in the upper 10 percentile of uh, profitability uh, for our company. So, uh, I, you know, I want to drive profit very hard, but we'll never drive profit at the expense of our values and our culture. Mm. And a fourth item is really about, uh, you know, what is our role? We have about 4,000 associates. We have lots of different job descriptions in the company, uh, but we all have the same role in the company, and that's to make raving fans of the five groups of people we do business with. Uh, first and foremost is our fellow associates, our guests, our purveyors, our partners, and our community. So if uh, we make raving fans out of those five groups of people, we'll make raving fans out of everybody who comes in contact with our company. You have to belong to one of those five constituencies of people to have any interaction with Cameron Mitchell Restaurants. So if we can make raving fans of those five groups of people, we'll make raving fans out of everybody we meet. And finally, uh, there is uh, our goal. What is our goal? And, you know, as a business, we have you know, thousands of goals every year. They come and go and they change. It could be hourly goals, daily goals, weekly goals. We read open the restaurant. Well, it could be whatever. Uh, but there's one goal that stays the same 24, 7, 365, which is to be better today than we were yesterday and better tomorrow than we are today. Mm. And so, uh, simply put, that embraces a culture of change. We cannot, uh, be better tomorrow than we are today without changing, without growing, without getting better at what we do. So it requires uh, change. Number two, uh, we could argue all day long about how successful a restaurant company we are, moderately successful, wildly successful. Uh, it doesn't really matter. We would all agree quickly that we're somewhat of a successful restaurant company. And so by virtue of being better today than we were yesterday and better tomorrow than we are today, uh, we will be more of a successful restaurant company tomorrow than we are today. So that keeps our upward trajectory moving. There's uh, eight value statements underneath there, uh, and I won't go through all eight of them. Uh, you can get them on our website, but um, the one I want to talk about the most, and, and first and foremost, is the associates come first. And again, you'd think as CEO of a restaurant company, my number one goal would be uh, to, for great guest service. And, and that's not true. And actually, I'll be brazen enough to say, I don't even think we have a direct relationship with our guests. Uh, we have a direct relationship with our people, yeah. and our people take care of the guests. And so I look as a triangular relationship, and that is this. Simply put, that we... Uh, uh, spend almost all of our energy taking care of our people. And if we take care of our people, they will take care of our guests, and then our guests will take care of our company. So uh, that's how that works. And and then uh, uh, other eight core values below that, or seven more values below that. And finally, I think we talked earlier about the answer is yes, what's the question? Yep. 
and that is the uh, final piece to our company culture and values. And we uh, celebrate that through the milkshake. Uh, one day, uh, 15 years ago, I was at a local restaurant with my son and uh, my two sons and my wife and my in-laws, and I wanted to get a uh, grilled cheese for my son, and the server said, I'm sorry, we don't do grilled cheese for kids, and it's not a kid's menu. I said, okay, well, I'll tell you what, uh, how about giving me the club sandwich and hold the turkey, ham, uh, lettuce, tomato, uh, mayo, middle slice of bread, and if you could take what's left for me and saute in a pan, uh, that'd be fantastic. So uh, she goes, okay, begrudgingly got my, my uh, grilled cheese. And then I said, well, I'd like to have a small chocolate shake for him, too. And she says, well, uh, we don't really do chocolate shakes. And so uh, I said, what? Uh, she said, well, all we have is a Haagen-Dazs uh, milkshake, which is uh, like a you know a quart of Haagen-Dazs ice cream whipped up and almost like a soft serve and a milkshake. It's huge, and it's just way too much for a four-year-old uh, for your son. And I said, you just can't make a little milkshake. She says, no, I'm sorry. So she goes to talk to her manager, and I see her manager shake her head no, and she comes back and says, I'm sorry, we can't do it. And so I asked the manager if she, if she can get the manager to come over. My wife is kicking me under the table and saying, don't do this. And I said, listen, I just want to find out why. So the manager comes over, and she says to me, well, we can't do it because we pre-portion the ice cream, and if we use a little bit of ice cream for your milkshake, what you know, uh, what would we do with the rest? And um, and we just can't do it. And I said, okay. I said, and I know that's uh, absolutely not true. Nobody is in the back uh, pre-portioning ice cream. Uh, but I said, okay. Uh, how about can you make a chocolate milk for me? And then at that point, she's uh, delivering genuine hospitality, right? Oh yes, I'm more happy to do that. Okay, great. Starts to walk away, and I said, hey, hold on a sec here. It says on your menu, they had a carrot cake and a brownie dessert. It said, a la mode, two ninety five. I said, what's a la mode mean? And she said, well, that's a scoop of ice cream with a dessert. I said, perfect. Can I have an order of a la mode to go with my chocolate milk? And if you could whip that up in a blender for me, that'd be terrific. And so she begrudgingly said, okay, sir, but that'll be expensive. And I said to myself, go, okay. And meanwhile, my wife is livid and said, you know, we're not coming back here again. This is ridiculous. And so I... Uh, I uh, was down uh, a couple weeks later as a keynote speaker to 500 people at our higher regency in Columbus. And I was telling uh, about Cameron Mitchell restaurants. And the answer is yes. What's the question that wouldn't happen in our company? And and uh, about two weeks after that, a gal comes up to me on the street and says, "Hey, my husband saw you speak at the Hyatt and wanted to test out your milkshake theory. So he went to one of your restaurants at the bar to try to order a chocolate milkshake, and they said they wouldn't do it for him. They don't make chocolate milkshakes." It's like she punched me in the gut right there in the middle of the street. So I go marching into my Monday morning executive meeting and uh, uh, pounding my fist on the table. And anybody knows me knows I'm kind of like Chicken Little. The, you know, the sky is always falling. So I, uh, I said, you know, our culture, uh, what's happening to our culture? You know, the answer is yes. What's the question? We need to reinforce that and make sure everybody knows that come hell or high water. So we started to say, well, let's uh, make the milkshake the icon of hospitality in our company. And uh, I said, okay, that sounds great. So we created Flo from Mel's Diner, big smile on her face, serving a chocolate milkshake on a tray, and she became our icon. And, and we've made milkshake pins for people to wear and, and, and service anniversaries. Then we, you know, made milkshakes for the above and beyond a call of duty every week for our top associate in the, in the stores. And, and then we started doing milkshake toasts <laughs> at the start of all of our meetings. And, and I, I still quite enough. And I said, got to be more we can do and so 
Uh, we decided we came up with, uh, for orientation, every new associate comes in the company, has orientation, and a half-day orientation in the company. And for orientation, uh, we make that new associate chocolate milkshake, and uh, we talk about the story and how the answer is yes, what's the question. So uh, today in our company, we uh, make thousands and thousands of chocolate milkshakes every year within our company. Uh, to reinforce the answer is yes, what's the question, and uh, reinforce our culture and our values of great people delivering genuine hospitality. So uh, that's how we, you know, one of the ways we do it, we have all sorts of other internal marketing pieces and so forth. We always send out the stories to everybody of great hospitality uh, that we see and, and we get feedback from our guests and so forth, and we're constantly talking about it day in and day out even our pre-shift meetings every day has something about the culture and the values of the company in there so we we talk about it daily we post it daily um it's the center of everything we do and that's how we keep our 4,000 associates and our 52 restaurants across the country marching in uh uh in uh in line with our culture and values and our and uh our, our company values. So wow. it's, uh, it's <laughs> you, you yeah. just went on a tear, Cameron. That was impressive. And you really just took us through all the stages. And I'm happy you do- dove into the detail of how you keep it going. Cause it was great that you shared all those core values with us and what you value. Uh, but I feel like people fall short with, you know, implementing and living those core values. And I think it's, it's amazing how you took something as simple as a milkshake and use that mm-hmm. almost iconically to just reinforce who you are every day. And what's your advice for somebody out there who has their core values, they developed it, but they're not really doing a good job uh, living those core values every day like you do so well? Well, and that's simply, you know, we also do an associate opinion survey twice a year that our associates fill out and we measure and monitor. We measure everything we do. Uh, but, you know, a lot of people, you know, put these culture and value pieces together and they get all excited about it and think it's uh, the right thing to do and they put them in the manuals and so forth, maybe even put them up on the walls, and that's the last they talk about them and the last they really think about it. And it just, uh, you ultimately have to walk the walk. You just mm. can't talk And so, like I said, it's, it's, we, I mean, till we're blue in the face, we talk about it day in, day out, time after time, uh, and to, Almost to the point where it's so redundant, you know, almost people get sick of it. But the the fact of the matter is, uh, we keep it at the forefront, literally, of everything we do. Mm. So uh, that's the way to do it. That's the key. It's not a matter of just doing it and putting it on paper and getting your manuals and and let, expect it to take care of itself. It has to be tended to every day. You you literally have to live the core values, and I I am a real strong believer that the journey to restaurant greatness really starts within uh, working on yourself and becoming the best version of yourself you can possibly be. And then to bring those core values into your business uh, and influence and truly be a, a leader and help develop other great people in the world. Would you agree to that statement? Oh, absolutely. I mean, this is, we're not really in a restaurant business. We're in a people business. Yes. We happen to serve a product, but, uh, uh, it's all about the people, and anybody thinks it's different. I remember hearing one CEO talk about, well, the business is really pretty simple. Uh, it's really a, uh, all about the real estate, uh, and I knew that. And that CEO eventually got fired, uh, and I knew that. I mean, it just you know that is the ass backwards way to think about it. It's mm. absolutely not true. I love it's it. all about your people. You know, we have you know we have fifty two restaurants. If we've got fifty two great GMs, fifty two great executive chefs. 
you know, and uh, we don't have any problems. Yeah. You know, it's uh, it's all about the people on your team. Yeah, and your your values. Man, you're giving us gold today, Cameron. Uh, I just want to real quick. I realize we're getting close. You, you only have so much time uh, running to the mm-hmm. end of our time, but real quick, take a minute a minute to share a failure. I love getting a failure from all my guests, a time they just really fell hard on their ass and then how they got back up and just real quick, like one minute and then we'll take a break and we'll hit to the speed round. Sure. I, uh, you know, I mean, gosh, I've had lots and lots of failures over the years. So I'm, I'm trying to think of one that, uh, 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 is, is poignant, but I'll tell you, the one thing I think about failures is, you know, of every five restaurants I open up, one is going to be what I call a strikeout mm-hmm. and, uh, and three are going to be singles or doubles or triples, and one's going to be a home run grand slam. And so I, uh, you add them all five together, I get five good ones. And so uh, the key is to keep walking up from the dugout to the plate and keep taking a swing. Yes. And and that's really how I how I look at it. But, you know, my I, I think my single, single biggest failure was we opened up a restaurant and uh, crashed in 2009. I signed the deal at the end of 2008 for Marcella's in Scottsdale. and. To eleven thousand square foot Italian restaurant in the middle of the desert, and that wasn't a great uh, move. And I, I was very careless in my site selection and didn't do my homework. And I knew the night I was out there for orientation, uh, for training for the new restaurant that we were going to fail there, and I was I'd making a great grave mistake. And that restaurant opened up uh, promptly, losing a hundred grand a month oh, wow. on top of the three million plus that we spent to open. And it. you so, knew this before you actually opened the door. You, your gut instinct was telling <clears> you it was going to. Oh, I knew it. Uh, walking around the center that night on a Thursday night, I just knew we were finished. And so, so why did you keep we... going? Why didn't you? Why didn't you try to? <clears> well, we were in release. We had to yeah. open. We were spending mm. dollars, you know. So, yeah. we had to make the best of it. But eventually, we got out of it. Eventually, it cost me five million bucks. Wow. Uh, but uh, at the end of the day, uh, you know, I look at all, uh, uh, you know, any mistakes, especially as an entrepreneur. I said, you know, I know I'm going to make mistakes, and uh, uh, I'm going to shoot myself in the foot every once in a while. I have to walk around for a, with a limp for a while, but I'll never shoot myself in the head. Yeah. And so uh, that's really how I look at it. You just press on and keep moving, and uh, and you know, for that mistake, I've got lots of victories too. So, so would you, you say know. that that biggest mistake, if you had to narrow it down to one word, would it be complacency, carelessness, carelessness? Awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I think it's that eternal optimism, like you said earlier. I believe you mentioned, or maybe it was in a video I watched of you that just keeps you looking to the future and knows, hey, like like you say, one out of every five, and just. Keep on going. That's just the, the attitude you need. I love it. So uh, uh, all, all through my career, I felt like, uh, uh, you know, I was I forget what that toy's called, the punching bag that you punch it and it knocks it down to the ground. And it pops oh, back yeah. right up. Yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. I forget what that's called, but that's how I've always treated my, my <laughs> career and myself and my performance through the years that, you know, you can knock me down. Uh, but I'm going to get right back up, and and uh, and that's just the way you got to do it. Awesome. We're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors, and we'll be right back. When you're running a busy restaurant, it's pretty hard to find time for training. Well, Tipsy has a whole library of video courses from industry experts, including world barista champions, marketing gurus, and customer service superstars. Get your staff watching Tipsy courses and watch their growth help your business. With Tipsy, scheduling training, tracking skills growth, and measuring engagement is a piece of cake. 
In the hospitality industry, we never have enough time, so training often falls away. But as management legend Andy Grove says, the only two ways to improve performance are training and motivation. Tipsy provides both. Click the Tipsy banner in the show notes to find out more. Because your Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you'll receive a special 50% off your first month. What are you waiting for? Get on it. All right, we're back. And the first question I have for you, Cameron, is what is one it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Uh, My passion for people. Mm, I love it. So important. And uh, what is your biggest weakness? Mm, My biggest weakness uh, is, uh, um, oh, man, I just love to gamble. (laughs) (laughs) So I... I'm always pushing and, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to sometimes slow down and, and, uh, that's maybe my biggest weakness. And I think one of my favorite sayings is your biggest weaknesses are often your biggest strengths. And I think that's true with you through, uh, you know, risk taking that risk to go out there Mm -hmm. and to be willing to fail and fall hard on your ass, but to know that there's always the next opportunity waiting for you. That's right. I love it. That's right. Uh, what is one piece of advice you have for leading others? Lead from your heart. Mm. Treat people as you want to be treated. You know, I think uh, live the golden rule. Mm. I think it's pretty simple. All right. So in the early days when you were doing the interviewing yourself, what was one question you're asking or one characteristic you're looking for in the people you're hiring? Well, I very rarely talk about experience. I very rarely have their, you know, I look at their resume and, you know, quickly brush it aside, actually literally move it aside. You know, I may ask a couple of comp questions or especially if something looks a little out of line or something, but uh, just to understand. But then I always get into the person themselves. I want to know what they do with themselves all day. Mm. You know, I always joke that if they sleep in and lay around in bed and watch Jerry Springer, I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want them. Awesome. You know, if they get out, I get up in the morning and work out and I read a little bit or, I, you know, I you know, you know, whatever I make my list out for the day, whatever, you know, that kind of people, those kind of people I'm looking for. I'm looking for, you know, high energy, high action folks. Awesome. Great stuff. And what is one current challenge your restaurant group is dealing with and uh, how are you dealing with it? Uh, well, the current challenge is always there is capital. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's been there for 23 years, you know, uh, having enough capital to do what we want to do and, you know, uh, restaurants uh, eat capital and chew through capital. So that's always a challenge. And as we've gotten bigger and more mature over the years, it's been a little bit easier to to deal with, but it's still a huge uh, time suck for me. Um, The other challenge I think really that's coming on more and more lately is the uh, obstruction um, with our government and government regulation and well, you know, now the rules are coming out starting December, doubling overtime pay overnight from 23000 to 46000 for salaried managers. And, and just uh, things like that, that uh, uh, it's becoming harder and harder and harder uh, to affect and, and effectively run our business. Uh, so uh, I'm not a big anti-government guy, don't get me wrong, but it's just it's uh, it's becoming pretty cumbersome. Yeah, and just one thing or two things real quick that you plan to do differently to be able to stay afloat during this transitional time? Um, Well, I I think, you know, as best I can, uh, I'm trying to be a little cautious uh, and trying to hold back on a little bit of development just to keep a little wiggle room in there. 
Um, so I think that's that's probably one of them, uh, um, and probably the biggest one, really. I mean, we're we're really uh, blessed. Knock on what I even hate to say it, you know, operating all eight cylinders right now. So I always feel like the other shoe could drop any minute. But uh, um, so just trying to. Uh, not be so exuberant and, and just to keep moving methodically forward and try to try to exercise a, uh, as best as I can a little bit of caution. So when you say wiggle room, you're talking about uh, you're not living at the very edge of your envelope all the time, lifestyle-wise? Okay, cool. Got it. Um, and what's one thing that your restaurants do aside from food that separates you from other restaurant groups? Oh, I think that's simple, and that's just our company culture and values. I mean, it's just it's unbelievable. You know, and there's certain things in there like uh, we don't pay bonuses. We've never paid a bonus, mm. you know. Uh, but I've got people in our organization making hundred, two, three, four hundred thousand dollars a year. Wow! You know it. Um, uh, but we don't pay bonuses because I think bonuses are demotivating to people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I pay people based on their performance. Pay is an individual um, uh, issue with me. It is how? What is your? It's not whether the team. Form well. It's not whether you had a uh, snowstorm, you know, blazing snowstorm for three weeks that, you know, knocks sales and profitability out. That's not your fault. It has nothing to do with you. Uh, uh, it is all about uh, uh, performance and living within our culture and values and driving our business. If you do a great job doing that, you're a great leader in our company, you're going to do very well. I love it. What is one book that's a must read if you're looking to be a successful restaurant owner? Uh, well, I got to say nuts by Southwest Airlines. I think uh, Herb Keller and Southwest uh, have an incredible company culture, and, and uh, I think that's uh, important for people to understand that, that value of the company culture. That's what, you know, granted, Southwest has got a great business model. They've got, you know, uh, um, but in a very challenging business, they've thrived year after year after year. And if you ask anybody in Southwest, it's all about their people. I love it. And uh, what is one piece of technology that you've recently adopted to, you know, increase efficiency, productivity, uh, anything that's just giving you a return on investment? What What is that technology you're using? Well, that's a good question because uh, it's a hard one for me because I'm technically illiterate. So, <laughs> uh, so you know, I might have to ask our IT department about that. Um, you know, I think uh, the one thing you know uh, we use quite a bit is Open Table. Yeah. Uh, you know, open table, I've never really, uh, cared for too much, but, you know, I mean, cause it's a buck of reservation. It's cost us a fortune and now everybody is using it and we have to use it. But the one thing open table's done, I think I like about it is we use it to benchmark all of our feedback. Uh, we measure our star ratings on that and we measure ourselves against our competitors. We can see their star ratings. And so we get a lot of feedback, a lot of material about that. We also sometimes catch guests we make mistakes with. They leave, you know, email, you know, or they may not give us a favorable review. We leave an email contact, and we can get them that way. And so from a guest recovery basis, uh, uh, there's been a lot of things we do with that. I know when I'm in my site selection, you know, if I if I'm looking at a new restaurant site in a new city, we happen to be, you know, buy some open table restaurants. I can look on there. Uh, there. Uh, restaurants and see you know how many reviews they have I can then then kind of expand on how busy they are based on the number of reviews and and how what's the market like and so forth so there's a lot of things we use open table for yeah. as a, 
overrated. I think a lot of people uh, fall short with what they can do with Open Table. They don't really leverage it for all the the that's there, and they they just they're paying for the service and not getting the return on investment because they're they're being lazy with it. To be frank, exactly. Uh, so awesome stuff, great advice, and with all the knowledge you have now, if you could go back in time, give yourself one piece of business advice, what would it be? Hmm. Uh, um, you know, I, I don't know that I can even answer that because, you know, my first thing that comes to my mind is, you know, to use more caution, you know, and, and maybe not go as fast and, and so forth. But I can tell you, uh, uh, like, for, for example, we just got off our latest round of expansion. We did eight restaurants in the past two years. And my team was pushing me hard not to do Boston because we we're overextended and, and uh, um you know, uh, we probably should just be a little more conservative and so forth. And I said, you know, uh, I felt really strongly about Boston. And so we ended up doing it. And it's going to be our number one restaurant in the portfolio, do $12 million this year in annual volume. And that's Ocean Prime, right? Yeah. And so, you know, if I wasn't cautious, if I was cautious, I may not have done that restaurant. Mm. And that rounded out the performance and, and, and return on investment on those eight restaurants for us. So, because it's such a strong return. So, you know, that was that home run I'm talking about. Yeah. So, for awesome. example, being if I did a single or a strikeout and th- uh, three singles and doubles, and that's all my average was, then I wouldn't have nearly as average as I did a, a, a strikeout, three singles and doubles, and a home run. Yeah. And so, so, um, so I, I have a, I'm hard-pressed to say what advice would I have given myself differently because, yes, many times I wish I would have slowed down or not done this door or not done that, but... Who knows? I might have said I'm not going to do this or not do that for some of our home run stores, too, if yeah. I if I heed advice. So. Like sometimes you just got to take the risk, and sometimes it pays off, sometimes it doesn't. But when it does and it pays off big, it like shadows all the bad decision you made. So Excellent. awesome stuff. Uh, those are all the questions I have for you. You've been amazing. We're still, we still got a little bit of time for you to let the listeners know how we can connect if we want to maybe come work for you or uh, pick up the conversation online, social media, how we connect. Yeah, just uh, uh, reach me at cmitchell at cameramitchell.com and check out our website at cameramitchell.com. And I believe uh, uh, we have a ton of information in there. And so I uh, uh, look forward to meeting some folks, and my door is always open. Awesome. The last thing I need you to do is just call somebody out who's one indie restaurant professional, somebody in this industry you admire and think would be a great guest like you were for us today. Well, it's my idol, uh, Rich Melman. You know, Rich Melman. That's a big goal to hit, and I would love to get him on the show. Well, you call him and tell my ass <laughs> he's. Uh, uh, I got to be on the cover. I never really met Rich until we. I got the Rich Melman Award and was on the cover of Restaurant Business with him, and we ended up spending about three hours together. We were truly kindred spirit and uh, and and restaurant brethren, and uh, it was great. So. But uh, he's clearly, in my mind, the best out there in the country. Awesome. Rich Melman, look out. I'm coming after you. I'd love to get you on the show. And we are over time, so I will let you go. Thank you so much, Cameron, for taking the time to join us as a guest mentor. You've made us just all a little bit better. There's no questioning. You are unstoppable. All right. Well, thank you very much, Eric. It's been my pleasure. (laughs) Thank you. Cheers. Well, there is another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Cameron Mitchell was just awesome today. I had so much fun just learning from him, sharing his story, and uh, making an example of him. And 
And if there's anything to take away from today's episode, I think you would agree with me when I say it's that emphasis that Cameron put on those core values. And I know we talk a lot about uh, systematizing you know, standards, processes, procedures, protocols, all that stuff. Blech. It's not exciting stuff to talk about, but it's so important. Um, and sometimes when we talk about those things, it kind of sucks the life out of your restaurant or, you know, you want your, your people's personalities to shine. And I can see like how that might be scary for some people. It's sometimes it's scary when I think about it, but that's where the core values I think come in uh, to teach your people how to think. And this is what Cameron said. He, he teaches his people how to think uh, and what to, and, you know, so they know what to do. And I think, you know, that's where those core values are so important to, to, you know, uh, just engrave those core values and to echo them every day. And it's not enough just to have them, like he says, and put them on your wall. You've got to be there driving those core values into your people every day. It has to be, like he says, at the forefront of everything you do. And that's where, uh, you know, if, if you, you know, just engrave these core values in your people and you, you teach them how to think um, and just how to do the right thing and, uh, like, like he says, the answer is yes. Now, what's the question? Little things like that we can start doing in our restaurant. Teach your people how to think. And it's as easy as coming up with these little sayings and just echoing them every day. Another thing I have to point out, something that just really impressed me with Cameron, was his emphasis on, uh, or not his emphasis, but his story on how he decided on what he wanted to do. And then he listed out his goals with deadlines. And if you're at this point in your life where you know you want to commit to uh, a career in, in the food and service and hospitality, write your goals out. Make the decision. Live intentionally and get started today. Act now. He did a 180 because he made a commitment. You can do that too. So, you know, what are you waiting for? Just get on it. And like always, guys, uh, please shoot me an email, eric at restaurantstoppable.com. Keep those five-star reviews on iTunes coming. If you left one, thank you so much. They help. And lastly, uh, you can always schedule a 15-minute chat one-on-one with me. Maybe you need some inspiration. Maybe you have some ideas. Maybe you just need an ear to listen. Uh, Or maybe you are ready to do your 180 and I can help with that. So schedule the appointment. Let's chat. I love those chats. They mean so much to me. They really do. That's like the best part of Restaurant Unstoppable is connecting with my listeners. So please do take advantage of it. All right. That's it. Thank you guys so much for joining me today. Until next time. Peace out.